This is the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast with Matt Lore, Episode 12. Hello, and welcome to Episode 12 of the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast, released on Saturday, the 7th of December, 2019. I am your host, Matt Lore, here with a selection of privacy news stories in the first half, along with a discussion of data protection officers in the second half. U.S. Customs and Border Protection backed away from a proposal to require U.S. citizens to submit to facial recognition scans upon entry or departure from the United States amid pushback from lawmakers and civil liberties groups. Their justification for the proposal had been to prevent persons from using fraudulent U.S. travel documents and to resolve the logistical complexity of having separate entry and exit processes for U.S. citizens and foreign nationals. But many protested, including Senator Mike Lee of Utah, and Senator Edward Markey of Massachusetts, who called the proposal dystopian. Speaking of the U.S. Senate, those hoping for a federal privacy bill were given some hope this week. A few days after Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington, ranking member of the Commerce Committee, circulated a draft bill titled the Consumer Online Privacy Rights Act, Commerce Chairman and Republican Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi released a draft of his own bill, the Consumer Data Privacy Act, which includes individual rights to access, correct, or delete personal information, narrow constraints on the use of biometric data, and requirements for organizations to appoint privacy officers and conduct privacy impact assessments. At a hearing on Wednesday, senators agreed on the need for a bipartisan approach to adopting a bill. But several areas of disagreement remain. One of the largest is the availability of a private right of action. Cantwell's bill provides for statutory damages of up to $1,000 per violation per day as well as punitive damages, while Wicker's bill has no private right of action at all. Though Senator Wicker did indicate that he is open to the idea of a narrow right of action limited to injunctive relief. Enforcement was another question. While both bills would grant the FTC enforcement authority, there was disagreement over an increase in budget and staffing, as well as how broad FTC rulemaking authority should be. Both bills would also allow for enforcement by state attorneys general. Then there is the biggest sticking point, preemption. Wicker's bill would broadly preempt state laws on privacy, while the Democratic bill would not preempt except in the case of direct conflict. While there are still some large differences to bridge, this is encouraging progress toward the United States' first data protection bill of general applicability. Today I want to talk about data protection officers, or DPOs. There are a number of data privacy laws around the world that include some version of this concept, but for the purpose of this discussion, I'm going to focus on the European Union's GDPR. The designation, position, and tasks of a DPO are described in Articles 37 through 39. Public bodies who process personal data, other than courts, must appoint a DPO, and other controllers and processors must appoint one, where they systematically monitor individuals on a large scale or perform large-scale processing of special categories of data, like race, religion, health, or criminal records. The DPO must be someone with expert knowledge of data protection law, and this person fulfills a number of duties. These include acting as a sort of ombudsperson for personal data. The contact details of a DPO must be published and communicated to the supervisory authority. Guidance from the European Data Protection Board has clarified that you don't necessarily need to publish the name of the DPO, but you do need to publish a confidential way that data subjects may contact them with inquiries or complaints. 
the DPO also acts as a point of contact for the supervisory authority. Simple enough, but the real crux of the job is informing and advising the controller or processor of their obligations under the GDPR, monitoring their compliance, and providing advice where requested on the completion of data privacy impact assessments. And that's where it gets tricky. You see, the GDPR allows that a DPO may be a staff member of the controller or processor, or may perform the role on the basis of a service contract. That is, the DPO may be internal or external. It also says that the DPO may not be fired or disciplined for carrying out the DPO tasks and may not be instructed by the controller or processor regarding those tasks. Okay, but the GDPR also allows for a DPO to fulfill other tasks and duties, as so long as there is no conflict of interest. Conflict of interest? Between whose and whose? You see, that's the trick. The DPO's role is to represent the interests of data subjects, not the controller or processor's business interests. And that's where it can get dicey. Consider a recent report from the Supervisory Authority for Lower Saxony. Side note, while most countries have a single supervisory authority, like the ICO in the UK or the CNIL in France, Germany decided to make things fun and have a separate supervisory authority in each state. Hence, die Landesbeauftragte für den Datenschutz Niedersachsen. Anyway, they sent a survey to a bunch of companies asking them about their GDPR compliance. There weren't a whole lot of surprises in there. But there was one that took me by surprise and made me think a bit. That was that they found that a number of companies indicated that the DPO was responsible for performing data protection impact assessments, or DPIAs, which are a topic for another day. The authority called this fundamentally problematic. Why? The DPO is supposed to be an expert on data protection, so why wouldn't they complete the DPIA? The first answer is that the obligation to perform the DPIA is an obligation on the controller, and the DPO is not the controller when they perform their DPO duties, even if they are an employee of the controller. The second is the DPO's role specifically in DPIAs. Article 35 obligates the controller to seek the advice of the DPO when performing a DPIA, and Article 39 requires the DPO to provide advice where requested as regards the DPIA and monitor its performance. So what's the difference between giving advice and doing it yourself? It seems that the authority in Lower Saxony, at least, believes it is inappropriate for the DPO to be accountable for completing the DPIA. Having the DPO completing the DPIA blurs the lines of accountability between the DPO and the controller. Also, many supervisory authorities say that the DPO should review the DPIA to make sure it was done correctly and make a formal recommendation on whether or not the processing can proceed. If the DPO is heavily involved in the process of performing the DPIA, they are less likely to conclude the DPIA was improperly done or that the processing is too high risk to proceed. Now, you might argue that having the DPO heavily involved means the DPIA will be done correctly and all risks will be effectively mitigated. But the Germans seem to think that the DPO should stand as an independent check, that while they must be an expert in data protection, they should not be the only expert in data protection at the controller's disposal. Well, that's all for this week. As a program note, while I didn't get the podcast out by Saturday morning, I think that Saturday evening will be a more achievable goal going forward. You can expect two more episodes in December, then I'll take the 28th off. Then I'll have one more on the 4th before taking the 11th off as well. As always, thanks for listening.